Now, Heavenly Father, we want to bow before you and knowing your Holy Spirit's here. We request, Lord, as Jesus taught us, we, we can't do anything spiritually um, worth anything without Jesus' help. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, would you help us with open eyes of understanding and a heart willing to hear what the still small voice of your Holy Spirit is saying to each one of us through your word in Christ's name for his glory. Amen. Well, the Israelites are in hot water on two accounts. Number one, they have trouble with their enemies. The Ammonites and the Philistines were on the attack. Um, last week we saw, quote, that year they shattered and crushed them. And so they are being ruthlessly treated by their enemies. And number two, they have troubles with their God. Um, it was all a part of God's discipline in the seventh cycle of sin, as we've been calling it, uh, when they get out of hand and when they forsake the Lord, he allows uh, them to, uh, the, their enemies to gain the upper hand and uh, to suffer, uh, hopefully to bring them into repentance. Uh, they had forsaken uh, the Lord for pagan gods and the Bible says last week he sold them over just the terrifying thought of God taking away his gracious hand, his covering, his blessing upon his people. And so after 18 years of backsliding, they cry out to him, Lord, save us, we've sinned. But the horrifying part of last week's study was that the Lord detected their initial cry for help was deemed by God as superficial. So he said, you know, I'm tired of playing this game. I don't think you mean it. We've been down this road so many times. In fact, I'm not gonna save you this time. And uh, that really put the fear of God on them, especially when he said, you know what, why don't you try calling out to them for a change? All your, your favorite uh, lovers, all your gods that you go uh, prostituting yourself after, go ahead and give them a call right now and see if they can lend you a hand. And so with that sober slap of reality, Ultimately, the Jews come to true repentance. We talked about this last week. They're serving God now on his terms, an unconditional surrender, and deeds that evidenced a heart change. And so they get rid of their foreign gods, and they serve the Lord, and then they say, now will you help us? And the Lord said, yes, you're in the right place. And so that brings us up to where we left off. Now that Israel is in the correct heart posture, the Lord is ready to act on their behalf. And it's time to raise up a rescuer. So we're going to meet our judge in this next chapter for judge number eight. But why don't we pick up on the last verse here, verse 17 of chapter 10. When the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped at Mizpah. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, whoever will launch the attack against the Ammonites will be the head. And that word is a strong word. It's the ruler, the commander in chief, the president of all those uh, living in Gilead. So uh, Roman numeral number one, a leader needed. 
So in response to the Ammonite threat, and as the enemy kind of moves into attack position, Israel gathers together for defense. So picture with me the Israelites on one side and the Ammonites on the other. And the question comes down now, okay, we're here, they're here, things are heated up, who is going to lead us into battle? David Guzik on that line. Israel gathered but had no leader. God's pattern for doing great works among his people is to raise up a man. He could do the work all by himself. He could send angels to do the work for him. But God, God's normal means of operating is to raise up a man and through that man to do a great work. God uses leaders. And so... Uh, they're, the geese are wanting to fly. They realize that they're going to lead a, need a lead honker to uh, lead the V because even the geese know that uh, they need somebody out in front. And so uh, they're saying for a little incentive, uh, whoever does the job as lead honker in this case, whoever that man is, he will become ruler over the region. And so that's kind of a common uh, practice that you see in the Old Testament, putting a carrot out there for some brave soldier uh, to see that reward and to kind of throw himself into uh, the great challenge with a little bit of risk. And so I was thinking of 1 Samuel chapter 17 when a similar situation with you got your Philistines on one side and the Israelites on another and the Philistines send out Goliath and uh, they square off and 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 they say, the king says, uh, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him, Goliath. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. So when David heard that, David was like, uh, could you please repeat that to me one more time? And they did. And he asked again, so tell me, tell me that one more time. Because he's gaining his courage. He's thinking, you know, there's a reward for putting myself in harm's way for the Lord. And the Apostle Paul says there's a reward pending for courageous Christian service. And that it's not a bad thing to be motivated by reward. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. Run in such a way as to win that prize. And that's how Paul lived his Christian life. Uh, put, when you put yourself out there, you take a few risks. And this is how we live our Christian life, knowing that there's a reward. There's a reward. And so it's time to meet the one hero who is going to come with a lot of controversy as we see perhaps the most controversial passage in the Old Testament because it can go one of two ways. And you'll see that uh, in just a bit. The man of the hour, Jephthah, judge number eight. Let's introduce him, Judges 11, one through three. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead, his mother a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. 
So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around and followed him. Roman numeral number two, sketchy beginnings. So the story opens kind of flash forward a bit. You get two bits of information. One, Jephthah is a mighty warrior. He's a Rambo, Chuck Norris, Bruce Lee combination plate of a guy, just what they need. And number two, he's a Gileadite. He's one of them. Bingo. So why don't they just go get him? Oh, we got to tell you a little background because it's not going to be that easy. <laughs> why not just go and get him? Because there's a dysfunctional family of origin that's going to make that a little bit awkward. And here's what it says. Uh, they're saying he's got what we need. He's exactly the right person who can get us out of this jam. Only we trashed him as a kid and we treated him like dirt. And now we need a big favor and we have to go to him and ask him to put himself in harm's way for us after what we did to him. So uh, background here, apparently dad, Mr. Gilead, he had a wife and sons, but he had a fling with a prostitute through whom Jephthah was conceived and he was an illegitimate child. Dad must have adopted Jephthah because an inheritance was in question. And the only way that would have been even an option is if dad adopted. But dad died. Brothers grow up, the brothers of the wife, the legitimate brothers. And they grow up and say, you know what? You're eating into our inheritance where you're not getting any. So commentators say they took it to the town elders where they sued to disinherit him. And the elders side with the half brothers and say, your mother was a prostitute. These boys are legitimate from the wife. Therefore, you are disinherited. And they chase him out of town. This is going to be asking him for a favor uh, is going to be a little awkward here, to say the least. You're not getting a penny of our money. What's motivating that, do you think? A little greed, of course, because the more that has to go to somebody else, the less that I'm going to get. And so, but unbeknownst to them, the town, the brothers, they're driving away the hero of the day who's going to save them in the future. Now, if I saw this as a movie scene, I would see a young buff guy packing with tears streaming down his face and fleeing from these vicious brothers. Someday, I'm going to be famous. You're going to regret this. You know, that's what I see. And uh, verse 3, in his new hometown, he hooks up with some reckless, you know, the NIV has a weak word here, adventurers. Um, don't picture a Robin Hood uh, because you should be picturing the Godfather and the mob. All right. Because the word for adventurers, rock. In the Hebrew, it means empty, empty-headed. And it's the same word for Abimelech's hired cutthroats. Remember the thugs? So really, these are the misfits, the rogues, the rascals, you know. Uh, David's malcontents, you remember those in 1 Samuel 22? 
verse 2. The same kind of thing. Continuing on, 4 through 11, sometime later, now they're going to have to go get him. All right. Sometime later, when the Ammonites made war on Israel, now things are heating up, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, and be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, yes, that's true. Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you will be our head. Our kind of king, small, lowercase king, over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your ruler? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. All right. Roman numeral number three, eating humble pie. As the bad boy Ammonites begin to launch their attack and the fiery darts are landing near their heads, uh, this is enough for the Gilead elders to say, swallow our pride, go and get Rambo, what are you waiting for? And so don't miss how unprincipled these men are. They're scandalous and you don't catch it in the English right away. Verse six says, come be our commander, little brother. Come and be our commander. The original proposal in the reward back in 10, in the last verse of chapter 10, was a stronger word, which I told you means ruler. So they have downgraded their initial proposal to the brother to captain. Come and rescue us, and if you're a captain, you don't even have to be reinstated to, to your inheritance. You don't even have to be a citizen. They're just saying, hey, we'll, we'll make you captain for a day. You come and save us, all right? And that isn't going to work. Let's start low. As captain, he doesn't even have to get our money again. Only after he rejects their offer, they revert to the original uh, reward of ruler, but Jephthah is negotiating out of a position of strength, isn't he? So he's got them. I kind of imagine, imagine the brothers showing up. You know, they know they're going to have to go and kind of, you know, humble themselves before this, this half-brother, uh, son of a prostitute, brother of theirs. And so I pictured them groveling, you know, a half an hour at least clearing their throats, and then getting around to some small talk, and then they pop the question, look, we're in trouble, can you save us? And there's a big smile, a long pause, and Jephthah speaks. Allow me to paraphrase with an attitude. <laughs> they say, can you please? We're really in trouble. Can you help us out this one time? And he says, excuse me? Let's make sure you've got the right guy here. I'm the illegitimate son, the one you all despised, right? 
My last memory of you all was your angry faces chasing me out of town, and now that you're in trouble, you want me to come and bail you out? You're kidding, right? Like that's going to happen. But let's say I did, and God gives those bad boys into my hands. You'd make me, he uses the word, ruler? I find that hard to believe. So they realize he's going to play hard to get, so they start making oaths. Yes, we swear before the living God. Pinky swear, double dare, all of those things, taking vows. And so Jephthah is apparently convinced. And so he says, okay. And they return to Gilead. They have kind of an oath of office ceremony going on, and they appoint both, both words, captain and commander-in-chief. So they do that, but they do it before the Lord. So there's kind of a coronation ceremony. It's very solemn. And now we've got a leader just in time, verses 12 through 13. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with the question, what do you have against us that you have attacked our country? The king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's messengers, when Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peaceably. All right, Roman numeral number four. Negotiate first. Before things get bloody, it's always wise to try to settle the matter amicably. Proverbs says a fool is quick-tempered. I, I don't know about you, but... In my own life and in the lives of many people, I have seen just a rush uh, into a situation that exacerbates it, makes it worse, and blows it up. When it could have been if just a little prayer, a little waiting, a little patience, a little gentle answer, turning away wrath, a little give and take. Maybe you don't get everything in the deal, but you get something and you give away something. But for the good of the bi uh, averting the big bang, you negotiate first instead of making a big mess. And so I like this. Jephthah's not a hothead as we thought, just looking for a fight. He sends a delegation with a simple question. Uh, what's your problem? Why are you picking a fight with us on our own property? And the terrorist king answers back, uh, we're attacking you because when you guys had your little exodus, you took all my land and now I want it back. So hand it over and you can have peace. You stole our land, give it back, and then everything will be cool. Well, so much for trying to negotiate with irrational people who have their facts wrong. This guy needs a history lesson and Jephthah is not opposed to giving him one. And so now we're going to get the whole nine yards. All right. So here we go. Verses 14 through 28. Jephthah sent back messengers to the Ammonite king saying, this is what Jephthah says. Number one, Israel did not take the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came up out of Egypt, Israel went through the desert to the Red Sea and on to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, Give us permission to go through your country. But the king of Edom wouldn't listen. They sent also to the king of Moab, but he refused. So Israel stayed at Kadesh. 
Next, they traveled through the desert, skirted the lands of Edom and Moab, passed along the eastern side of the country of Moab and camped on the other side of Arnon. They didn't even enter the territory of Moab for the Arnon was its border. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon, and said to him, let us pass through your country to our own place. Sihon, however, did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. He mustered all his men and encamped at Jahaz and fought with Israel. Then the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his men into Israel's hands, and they defeated them. Israel took over all the land of the Amorites, the Amorites who lived in that country, not the Ammonites, the Amorites, capturing all of it from the Arnon to the Jabbok, from the desert to the Jordan. Now, since the Lord, the God of Israel, has driven the Amorites, not you guys, not the Ammonites, the Amorites, out before his people Israel, right? what right do you have to take it over? Will you not take what your God Chemosh gives you? Likewise, whatever the Lord our God has given us, we will possess. Are you better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever quarrel with Israel or fight with them? For 300 years, Israel occupied Heshbon, Eror, and the surrounding settlements and all the towns of the Arnon. Why didn't you retake them during that time? I have not wronged you, but you are doing wrong by waging war against me. Let the Lord, the judge, decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. The king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. All right, we've got a map, and I'm going to break this down really easy for you. All right, because that's my job. Number five, setting the record straight. First of all, about Jephthah, somebody went to Sunday school. Because for a thug, he knows the scriptures and he knows the history of his people. Did this just happen as he's kind of coming back to his senses? I don't think so. I think that we judge uh, a book by its cover too often. And we think, uh, this guy's, uh, you know, he's all muscle and he's a warrior and he doesn't know anything about spiritual matters. Oh, no. Oh, he could be a teacher. And he schooled this bad boy. And what does he say? <laughs> I love this. He says, number one, when we came up out of Egypt down here, Egypt's down on the floor. When we came up, first of all, we come to Edom. And then to Moab. We asked permission to go through because we're going up in here. We're not interested in e Edom or Moab. We just want to cross through. In fact, God said, you're not getting Edom's land or Moab's land because they're relatives. Leave them alone. We asked permission, denied. We asked permission, denied. So we went around. We go all the way up here to the Arnon River. All right? From the Arnon all the way to the Jabbok, this is the disputed land, all right? What is called the Transjordan. This is what they're fighting over. And it turns out that this land was occupied not by the Ammonites, but by the Amorites. 
So maybe they had the trouble back in the day, like preachers get in trouble now by, by mixing them up. But it wasn't their land. Their land stopped here. The Moabite land, the Ammonite land stopped there. This is the border. So he's saying, so number one, we went around. We didn't bother through anywhere here. And we, and we, we, we crossed into here. And then number two, we asked permission from the Amorites. The Amorites, not you guys, the Amorites. We asked them for permission as well. They denied it. And they turned to attack us. And that's when our God gave the land of the Amorites to us. So what right do you Ammonites think you have to a land that for 300 years, oh, now we know how far we've gotten in Judges. We've gotten 300 years in Judges. And it's exactly, for, if you add up all the sin cycles, it's been 300 years. For 300 years, Israel has occupied this land. So he's making the point, uh, not even the king of Moab, who hired Balaam to curse the Jews, not even he tried to get the land. He gave up and said, look, what can I do? It's their land. So funny thing that you would be coming around now, after 300 years, and asking us for land that God took away from the warring Amorites to us, and now you are saying, oh, that was my land that you took. That's not going to fly. That's what he's saying there. Now, do you get that a little bit better? Good. Thank you for nodding your head. Yes. I like stuff like that. I get all excited, you know. I know you guys are thinking about being home in your jammies and sipping tea. But me, I want to talk more about it. All right. So in conclusion here, not in conclusion, conclusion, but in conclusion to his historical narrative of schooling this king who doesn't know anything, he says, number one, it wasn't your land to begin with ever. Never was your land. The Amorites. Number two, God gave it to us from the Amorites. Number three, your real problem is with the person who gave it to us because we take what he gives us, just like you take what your God gives you. And so you should take it up, not with us, not with your God, but with our God, Yahweh. Take it up with him. And besides, we've occupied it for 300 years. No one's contested yet, and you're claiming it now. We're innocent. Verse 27, you're the aggressor. We'll let God decide between us just like we've done in the past. And like all those who perish in a big, ugly, nasty flame of fire and black smoke, this guy will not pay attention. And that is a common denominator to all who perish. Let's finish up with a real controversial issue. Verses 29 to the end of the chapter. Then the Spirit of the Lord, so he gets schooled, right? So we got the facts straight. Now it's time to teach him a lesson. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And then that's really what happens with these judges. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon them. 
He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of my door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. We're going to talk about that. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aror to the vicinity of Mineth, as far as Abel Kiramim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines? She was an only child, except for her he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched because I've made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. You may go, he said, and let her go for two months. She and the girls went into the hills and wept because not she was going to die, but because she would never marry. After two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he vowed. He didn't kill her. She was still a virgin. From this comes the Israelite custom that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gilead. All right. Number six, and finally then, did he or did he not? I say along with half of the commentators, uh, no. He did not offer and murder his daughter and as a burnt offering because he said something rash. He's a, number one, he's a Bible hero. Hebrews chapter 11 names Jephthah as a Bible hero. Number two, he is spirit-filled at this point. The Holy Spirit is upon him. He's anointed and empowered by the hand of God. Verse 29 says that. He's number three. He's a man who knows the scriptures very well and God's prohibition against human sacrifice. Leviticus 18.22, Leviticus 20.1 through 5, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31, Deuteronomy 18, verse 10. No human sacrifices. Now, let's deal with the, the vow. The vow itself is ambiguous. It makes no sense as it stands at all. Um, if you give the Ammonites, verse 30 and 31, if you give the Ammonites into my hand, whatever comes out of my door of my house to meet me, when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Doesn't make sense. Whoever would come out of my house, I'm going to sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering, it doesn't make sense. Because what if it was a kid from a neighbor? What if it was the neighbor's wife? What if it was a dog? 
you're going to go to the high priest at the tabernacle, say, ah, I've made a vow. I got this dog here. Sorry, they always go southern accents. I don't know what that is. I, uh, I apologize to you if you're from the south. I just go when I get crazy, I go to the south or New York. You know, let's go to New York. What can I say? You know, this dog wanders in, you know, so let's sacrifice him. I said, whatever came first, I see this dog. You know what? What are people thinking? It doesn't make sense. And so I just go, Warren Wearsby, please save me from this madness. And sure enough, Warren, I love you. He says, number one, he says, a word that's very important in that vow, the and, can be or. It's usually and. So the three major translations go with the and because it's usually and. But Warren says it's sometimes or. So now let me read it to you with a little bit of what he might have meant by this, okay? God, if you do this for me, I dedicate my wife or my kids, whoever I see first, or offer my prize bull as a burnt offering, or offer a burnt offering, all right? Now that makes sense. I'm so desperate, I would do anything for this win. The arrows are flying, they're outgunning us. Please do this, you know what, I'll just, I'll give you, I'll give you my kid. I'll give you my wife, and if it, if it happens to be I see the prize bull, I'll sacrifice that. That kind of makes sense. Even though he's manipulating God, and he's trying to strike a bargain with somebody who does things because he loves us, and he's grace-based, and we don't need to say, oh, God, I really want this, and if you do this, I'll do that. Is that okay? The Lord is like, I was going to do it anyway. I was going to do it anyway. He doesn't need our bargaining. And so that's what he's doing. For Jephthah, everything's on the line. He needs the Lord to come through. And so he's going to do this big dramatic thing. Now, God grants the victory independent of Jephthah's silly vow. Verse 35, he says, uh, he sees his only daughter. Apparently, she gets the news. There's talk. Hey, your dad came through. The Ammonites are fleeing. They're laying dead in the field. She gets the tambourine. She says, ah, we, th we think we see him coming around the corner. She gets it. She's all happy. And he says, verse 35, oh, my daughter. He tears his robe and he says, you've made me miserable and wretched. Excuse me? <laughs> Who made you miserable and wretched? Your own mouth made the problem. You've turned the party into a dirge because now you have to keep your word, apparently, keep your word to bring her to the tabernacle to serve in the tabernacle as a person who is totally dedicated to the Lord with no marrying. She's going to be dedicated the way uh, Hannah said, if you give me this kid, I'll dedicate him to you and when he was weaned, she made him a little jacket. <laughs> I was thinking shawl, but a shawl isn't for a boy. So made a little thing for him and brought him up and dropped him off. 
That's what they're talking about here. That's exactly. She goes into the hills, and I'm only making a big scene out of this because I had a children's Bible with pictures. And I turned the picture, and it was a picture of Jephthah with some wood and binding his daughter in a children's Bible. I don't think I would read that to my child at bedtime and say, honey, sometimes when we, we, we say things like, you know, uh, yeah, I think you can understand why I wouldn't read that. But, you know, it just makes sense. What is she doing? She's going in the hills and she's weeping about what? Uh, she's bemoaning in the King James. She's bemoaning her virginity. That means... I'm not going to be a mom. I'm not going to experience romance with my husband. I'm not going to be a grandma. I'm not going to, to enjoy motherhood. So let me grieve. And so he comes back and he takes her. And it says in the next breath, he does as he promised and she remained a virgin. There's no word that she died. There's no grieving and people... Grieved. In fact, it says that the women commemorated, King James has, a, has the wrong word there. It says laments her. The word is to celebrate with gifts in the Hebrew. So the women once a year would say, wow, let's go to the tabernacle or to the temple with gifts to those women who are alone, like Jephthah's daughter, who serve the Lord, and maybe are there lonely, or because of their sacrifice, we're going to com commemorate these, this wonderful altruistic uh, uh, example that uh, these women are serving the Lord. And so, you know, uh, that's exactly what happens. Uh, that's my opinion and uh, the opinion of half of, of, of the scholars in the world and the other half are just wrong. <laughs> Seriously. The writer to Hebrews. Oh, let's celebrate all the heroes and list all the heroes and name this guy who, that's murder, folks. That's murdering your daughter. And it didn't even say, you know when David does something wrong? It says, and this displeased God. Just by the way, if you think it was okay for him to have Bathsheba, this displeased the Lord. Where is that in this? You would have heard that if that had happened. Okay, I'm off my high horse, I think. Uh, only to come back. Reflections from chapter 11 for me. And I'm going to let you hear what I write for myself. Number one. A shameful past can be changed to an honorable life by walking faithful, faithfully with God. It's not my family of origin that defines who I am, but it's who I'm becoming in my new family, the family of God that matters most. Number two, I need to be gracious with my words so that when I have to eat them, they'll go down easier. <laughs> Number three, when conflict's brewing, instead of impulsive reacting, it's wise to try to diffuse the situation before it escalates into something destructive. Number four, 
No need to try to manipulate or strike a bargain with God since he's grace-based in his dealings with me. And besides, God tends to have a mind of his own, and he does as he pleases, and he's already got my back and looking to bless me. I do not have to twist his arm. Number five, taking oaths just leads to trouble. Jesus teaches us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. To be a person of our word will make the need to make vows unnecessary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the lessons of this chapter. May your Holy Spirit plant them deep within us and help us to call upon them, to recall them in the time when they're most applicable and needful. In Jesus' name, amen.